Would you please open your Bibles to Matthew, Matthew chapter 15. It's a special day. Every Lord's Day is special, but today is a special Lord's Day when we, culturally, we stop to celebrate Mother's Day. So, I thought it would be appropriate to bring a message to you about the role of mothers. And I have one mother in my mind in Matthew 15. And of course, this message applies to everyone here, first of all, every Christian, and, and every single woman in the kingdom of God is called to be a mother, a spiritual mother, to other younger Christian women. So this message will be applicable and, and for all of us. So Matthew chapter 15, and I'll invite you to stand if you can. Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. Here's the word of the Lord. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. He did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Oh, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. You may be seated. Lord, we cry out for you, just like this Canaanite mother, we ask you, have mercy on us. Help us. The preaching, the listening, the applying is all a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. So we ask you to help us. Empower us. Help me to be faithful. Help this congregation to be faithful. And Lord, we, we thank you for your wisdom. Your perfect wisdom in, in in making male and female, and using the female to, to be the instrument of motherhood. And we praise you for physical and spiritual mothers that you have placed in our lives, Lord. And I praise you for the mothers in this place here. And I pray they'll be building them up, strengthening the women in this church to be more and more like Christ Jesus. Thank you for the gracious women that we have in this congregation, Lord. They are a wonderful example for us, and they are a great source of encouragement in all our lives. So we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are clearly facing a, a massive problem in our culture when it comes to the understanding of the human nature. 
And I mean the human nature here, male and female. The rejection of God, the rejection of God's natural revelation has been leading our society to chaos. And male and female, the understanding of male and female is just the foundation for any civilization. And once you destroy that, that's the end of the civilization. Confusion about what to be a woman means is everywhere. Uh, we saw recently a person just candidated to, the, to be in the... Thank you. To, to be part of the Supreme Court of the United States was unwilling to define what a woman is. If society loses the meaning of womanhood, it will inevitably lose the meaning of what? Motherhood. The two walk together. You cannot pervert one without perverting the other. So we have been hearing more and more about, about pregnant people. Pregnant people. No longer mothers. And it was God's glorious and perfect plan to create men and women, male and female, and to use, to crown the woman as the means to be mothers. A life begins to develop in the womb of a mother in that baby's life depends on the nurturing care of the same mother. Naturally speaking, a mother is one who has the anatomical construction to bear a baby, feed and nurture that baby, but we know that a Christian mother is much more than that. Because she will be raising her descendants, her children, in a way to fear the Lord. And we also know that in the kingdom of God, especially with the coming of the under, under the new covenant, is that every single woman, even if they have never had and will never have natural or physical children, they have a call from the triune God to have spiritual children. So there is no excuse in the kingdom of God. Every single woman is called to be a mother, a spiritual mother to younger women in the congregation, in the church. Albert Moeller once he said, and I think it's important what he wrote, he said, in God's ordering of the world and human relationships, faithfulness always leads to fulfillment. Whereas fulfillment does not produce faithfulness. We as Christians must recognize and affirm in the midst of an, an onslaught of pressures that the calling to be a mother is a God-given calling that will lead to the utmost fulfillment. And I would say spiritually also. And the story that we have here is the story of a faithful mother, a faithful woman, and she finds fulfillment in her faithfulness. So here is the outline of this morning's sermon. And you see, it's just the interaction between Jesus and this mother, this Canaanite mother. So you have, first of all, Jesus' movement, and then we have the mother's movement. And it, it, it is as if Matthew is playing with the spotlight, and he keeps putting the spotlight in Jesus, then moves to the mother. So you have Jesus' movement, the mother's movement, you have Jesus' reply, the mother's reply, and you have Jesus' shocking or scandalous statement, and then you have the mother's shrewd statement, and then we have the final result. So that's where we're going to be heading this morning. So let's go to verse 21, Jesus' movement. And it says in verse 21, you can see in your Bibles, And Jesus went away from there 
and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. So, context is key. And if you're looking in your Bibles, you see the beginning of chapter 15, that Jesus is dealing there with the Pharisees, the scribes that came to him, and he is being accused of being unclean, of his disciples eating with dirty hands, not washing their hands, and Jesus starts teaching them what? That the impurity is not outside there, but impurity is where? In the heart. So, look at verses 18 and 20. That's just the preceding verses before the story that we have. And Jesus says, chapter 15, verses 18 and 20, through 20, he says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So Jesus just made very clear that the whole problem is not out there, but it's within us. Unclean impurity, the problem is inside us. So he's teaching about this, about food, and how food is not unclean in itself. And then he moves the next story is to show that it's not only food that, that's unclean. The problem is not only with food, but with people too. And then he goes to a very unclean area, the region of Tyre and Sidon, defilement everywhere, and he's going to show that even in that area, there's purity in the heart of this Canaanite woman. The Lord changed her heart and gave her a pure and holy heart. So that's where we are. Uh, according to Mark chapter 3, verse 8, Mark tells us that people from Tyre and Sidon came to Jesus, so they heard the news that Jesus was healing, delivering people. So you can just imagine people from Tyre and Sidon coming to Jesus and then going back to that region, and the news is spread. So that's how this mother heard the gospel. She heard about this one who had the power to deliver people, she heard the gospel, she believed, and as we will see, now Jesus comes into her town. Uh, one important aspect of this region here, uh, Tyre and Sidon is about 50, 40, 50 miles northwest from, from Galilee, and, and, and this region was well known as very pagan. Now, one scholar, David Garland, he says, economically, Tyre took bread away from Galilee. So you have this important historical aspect, because Jesus is going to play with bread. He's going to talk about bread. So economically, Tyre took bread away from Galilee. This region was well stocked with food produced in the Galilean hinterland, hinterland while Galileans went hungry. So, for example, Acts 12.20. Galileans perceived Tyre as a bloated bully and had long despised it for the amassing wealth at the expense of the poor. So this plays an important aspect in the story. <laughs> because you think about historically, geographically, they were well known for taking bread from the Galileans. And in this parable that Jesus is going to tell her, he talks about bread not being given to them. So, 
They're withdrawing. Look at verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the dis- district of Tyre and Sidon. Uh, the withdrawing is something planned. It's not Everything that Jesus did was always well planned. He's God. He's sovereign. So everywhere he went was very crucial. There is nothing that he does that is just unexpected, not knowing. And we think about Jesus' ministry. His ministry was always in the region of Galilee. It's very rare for Jesus to go to Gentile territory. It's very rare. So for Jesus to be with drawing himself and going to a, a Gentile territory is something that we need to be, whoa, what's going on here? Why is he going there? And we know that Isaiah had promised the, the light of the Messiah would come to the Gentiles, and that's what we're going to see taking place here. So, that was the introduction. So here we go to verse 22, the mother's movement. So we, we saw Jesus' movement. He is going to that region, and now we're going to see the mother's movement. And it opens, verse 22, and behold, behold, open your eyes, look at that, that's very important. A Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So Jesus comes to this area and this woman now comes to Jesus. Few of those who approached Jesus had so much against them from an orthodox Jewish point of view as this woman has. She was a woman, first of all. And you think about culturally, woman was despised. Women were despised. There are rabbinic prayers where they praise the Lord that they're not a dog or a woman. So first of all, she was a woman. One strike against her. She was a Gentile woman. Another strike against her. But she was not only a Gentile woman, she was what? A Canaanite woman. And you add to that, she has a daughter who has an unclean spirit. So she's completely under impurity. One scholar says, this woman is introduced with a crescendo of demerit. A crescendo of demerit. Even Levi, the tax collector, must have raised his eyebrows at this woman. Think about Levi, how filthy he was as being a tax collector. And even Levi would say, whoa, I was bad, but this one here is much worse. Matthew tells us that she was a Canaanite. That's different from Mark. Mark calls her a Syrophoenician woman. A Greek woman. But Matthew is very clear that she was a Canaanite. And, and that's important because this description of the woman as a Canaanite brings the image of the pagan enemies of God's people who were to be exterminated by Israel. The Canaanites became proverbial for pagan people. The Canaanites were often linked as the object of condemnation from the, from the Old Testament prophets. So, for example, they were well known for being arrogant and prideful. 
So we have prophecies against the king of Tyre. His pride, his arrogance. And that's how she is presented as a Canaanite. And we are told that a Canaanite woman from that region came out. So we have the movement. She, she is probably in her neighborhood. And now she hears that this Jesus is in town. Somehow. And she leaves her house to go find Jesus where he's at. So she came out and was crying. Once she finds where Jesus was, she was crying. And the use of the verb tense implies that she kept on crying out loud. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. And just this sentence shows how profoundly, doctrinally, she was. She had a, a, a deep understanding of doctrine, the doctrine of Christ and the doctrine of man. We call Christology and anthropology, right? Christology is the study of what? Christ. Anthropology is what? The study of man. So you see, Christology, why does, how, how do we know that she has a, a beautiful Christology? How does she call Jesus? First she calls him what? What? Lord. Lord. She calls this Jewish rabbi Lord, King of the Universe. And then she calls him what? Son of David. We saw when you were studying the covenants, the Davidic covenant, that the, the, the Son of David would come to restore the blessings to all the nations. And she understands better than all the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem who Jesus is. And she knows very well who she is. She understands anthropology. She knows that she deserves nothing. What is, this, what is she asking Jesus for? Look at that. What is she asking for? Mercy. She's asking for mercy. The verb eleo, to show mercy, to have pity, is used particularly of God's mercy. Giving undeserving kindness or forgiveness to those who do not deserve it. So she knows very well that she does not deserve anything. And let me tell you, the gospel is only gospel when you understand that you deserve nothing. And that's where she is. She knows that she deserves absolutely nothing. So she's begging for mercy. And then she says, My daughter is severely oppressed by demons, literally. Uh, she's demon-possessed. That's one verb that he's using there. She's badly demon-possessed. We know that a little girl does not fall under the sway of demonic forces at random. So someone in her family yielded to the dreadful powers of evil. Uh, coming from a Brazilian culture that was very normal. Uh, you'd bring your child if he's sick, if he has some sort of disease that you cannot get that little one healed. You take this little child into a witch doctor to get some way to get healing, invocation of demonic forces. So probably even this mom herself, before she was a believer, saved, she took her daughter to maybe get healed or prosperity and 
invited demons to come into the life of this little girl. Uh, and I was telling the kids last night how that happens in our culture, especially in Hollywood. How many people sell their souls and give their little kids to demonic forces in order for them to become famous and prosperous. So that's the mother's movement. Let's see Jesus' reply. But Jesus did not answer a word. Wait a second. We would expect Jesus right now to drop everything and go and serve this woman. Right? That's what we would expect from Jesus. Jesus, always ready to serve, always ready to help. And he's just quiet, silent. He responds to her by silence. Jesus' record of compassion and power in the previous chapters leads us to expect him to cast out demons right there, right at the moment. Therefore, it's pretty surprising, and to the modern Gentile reader, pretty disturbing. Whoa, he's quiet, he's ignoring her. And then you see what the disciples, look at verse 23, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she's crying out after us. What's taking place here? They are annoyed with her. That's so annoying, Jesus. Send her away. Probably they're saying, just heal this kid so she can stop bothering us, so we can get some rest here. So that's their view. Just send her away. Heal this kid and, and she will stop bothering us. And that leads to Jesus' next reply. So now he gives a theological reason why he's not doing that. So he says, he answered, and he's probably now answered the disciples. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And that's a theological reason. Why? Because the Messiah was supposed to be a Jewish man, coming to the Jewish people first, in order to bless those people, in order for them to be a blessing to the nations. That's how God orchestrated things. There was an order. The blessing to the nations would come first to Israel, and then from Israel to the nations. So, for example, in John chapter 4, when Jesus is talking to this American woman, he says that salvation is from or through the Jews. Paul supports this in Romans 1, for I'm not ashamed of, of the gospel, that is the power of God for the salvation for anyone who believes. And then he says, well, first the Jews, and then to the Greeks. Or Romans 15, verse 8 through 9. Romans 15, 8 through 9, Paul says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So first to the Jewish and then to the nations. And that's exactly what we see in the book of Acts. Once the Holy Spirit comes, you will be my witness where? Here, here, there. And that's what Jesus explained. He came to the lost sheep of Israel. That refers to God's true people who were in exile, waiting for the Davidic shepherd of Ezekiel 34. So here you see Jesus calling himself the good shepherd, the shepherd of Ezekiel 34. 
So, that was Jesus' reply. Let's see the mother's reply. Verse 25, but she came, knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. So she replies with actions and words. Her actions is what? She first, she's able to find a way, look at it, and she came. She's probably seen Jesus from a distance. He's ignoring her. He's talking to the disciples. And now she finds a way to Jesus. And what does she do? Boom. Right at his feet. Falls at his feet. The same word there, the Greek word could be for prostrating oneself, bowing, worship. And I think Matthew put this word exactly to show that all these things are taking place right there. Submission, worship. And she says, Lord, help me. Help me. Come to my aid. I have a problem that I cannot solve. And you alone can solve. That's what helped me. So, seems that Jesus will help her now. Right? Alright, you were silent. You gave your theological reason. But now this woman is crying at your feet, begging her help. Now Jesus will be soft. And he will go and help her. Right? Jesus shocking statement. And he answered. It's not right or it's not good. It's not beautiful. To take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. That's Jesus reply to her. Jesus replies to this mother's desperation with what? Provocation. He replies to the mother's desperation with provocation. He answers her with a very insulting analogy. And he used three important images here. The children. Who is the children? Yes, Israel. Remember, they were adopted by redemption. They were God's firstborn. The children refers to Israel. The bread is what? Jesus' ministry. His healing, his deliverance, his teachings. It's bread, it's life that he's bringing. It's the kingdom, the kingdom of God under Christ Jesus. That's the bread. And the dogs, who are the dogs? The Gentiles. And in particular, this mom with her daughter. Those are the dogs. It was a common Jewish epithet building on the fact that dogs were unclean animals and in Palestine were scavengers and homeless mongrels. So that's why they would compare <laughs> say, hey, they're not children. Children is part of a family covenant. They're dogs. They're outside the family. And it's funny, we love when Jesus confronts the Pharisees, right? We love that. When he calls them names, the Sadducees, the religious leaders. But suddenly when Jesus turns and he speaks like that to a poor woman in need, we get scandalized. I remember a man some years ago, he used to come to our church. And he told me that this story here was the most scandalous story in the Bible. And he had a hard time swallowing that. 
gods in ancient times, they were not idolized like they are today. Dogs were not treated as pets. There were not chihuahuas, poodles, chitsus. Actually, today, to be called a dog implies that you are very well treated, right? Dogs were scavengers. Even the ones who were treated as pets, they were pets just for work, serving outside the house. And you see, I was thinking about the way that Jesus presented the gospel. I don't know, how many of you have been to a course in evangelism? How many of you have taken courses on evangelism? I took a course in college, in different churches. I have never seen a course where they use this type of evangelistic outreach. When you think about Jesus, he was always using something scandalous. Why do you call me good? Good teacher. Instead of saying, oh, I'm so glad you know them. Why do you call me good? Remember? His question, the rich young ruler. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and then you follow me. No, 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 no. Let the dead bury the dead. And now, it's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. Very different from the three steps of presenting the gospel. And that shows how Jesus cannot be domesticated. I like what David Garland says. It's a long quote. I'll be, I have three slides, but I, I pray that we will bless all of us because he blessed me. He says, Jesus is deliberately scandalous, throwing stumbling blocks in people's ways. He affronts the Pharisees by calling them hypocrites to their face and scoffing at their beloved tradition. And he insults his Gentile, this, this Gentile woman by hinting she is a dog. Look at how he says, one should allow the scandal to stand and emphasize that one must overcome the scandal before one can open the door for Jesus to help. We can ask ourselves, what in this story would have offended us? And how would we have responded? Why are you so offended? Our answers should reveal much about ourselves. We might say, oh, if that's the way he feels, I will never come to him for help. No one likes being called hypocrites, an evil generation, brood of vipers, whitewashed stones, foxes, or dogs. Our pride kicks in and keeps us from ever asking for help again. We will turn to gods of our own making who will not offend us. Because we convince ourselves that we are special and truly worthy of God's grace and help. Only when we are truly desperate are we willing to do anything it takes, including hum humbling ourselves to find God's help. And he says, finally, in, in bridging the context, we need to be mindful of how this text offends modern readers. But we should not try to remove its sting. We should let it stand. Imagine Jesus speaking these words to us and visualize our response. What caused us to respond the way we do? 
What would, we, what would be our response to the rebirth of others? The honest answer to these questions ought to shed light on what prevents us from receiving God's help and from reaching out to others. Why are you so offended, O oh my soul? Look at her reply. Most people have walked away in anger and in bitterness, frustration. Today Jesus would be cancelled for sure by such an answer, or maybe sued, right? It sued Jesus because of his words. But look as she says. Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. You'd think that after the third strike, she was out of the game. First strike, silence. Second strike, theological reason. Third strike, I'm not giving bread to dogs. You'd think, okay, that's the third strike out of the game. Actually, she's in the game and she wins the game. Her reply to Jesus' shocking and scandalous statement is beautiful. Her shrewdness, her cleverness, all adorned with humility, make this story glorious. One scholar says, her reply is brilliantly put. This amazing story is the only time anyone, scare quotes, beats Jesus in a debate. The woman's humility is striking. She willingly admits to and accepts her secondary status to the Jews and shows a perfect willingness to partake of the crumbs left over from the Jewish preeminence in the kingdom. This woman is certain that Jesus has more than enough authority and power to care for her daughter with what is left over. She's not arguing with Jesus about the doctrine of election. He's not arguing with Jesus about how he's treating her. He's just humbling herself before him. It was Spurgeon who said, Dear friends, whatever the Bible calls you, accept it. Do not quarrel with it, for it's quite true. God's word was not sent to flatter human nature, but to give a faithful description of it. Then believe it, accept it, say, well, Lord, you call me dog, it's quite true, I'm only a dog. And yet in his grace, he changes us from dogs to children. And look at the final result, verse 28. Then Jesus answered her, oh, woman, great is your faith. And I can see the smile of Jesus in his face right now. He had set up everything just like in a board game so she could do the checkmate. He put all the parts together and he was waiting for her to do the checkmate. And now she has a checkmate. He loves it. Because it's public. Everyone can see O woman, great is your faith. Be done for you as you desire. Jesus has tested her faith and he and she has shown that faith in Christ is unshakable. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11.6, he says, Without faith it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. And this Canaanite mother seeks Him 
and she is rewarded by that, her faith. Look at the emphasis. Oh, woman! We have this interjection. Yes! Yes! Jesus is saying. Great! You got it! And then he says, Great is your faith. He publicly praises her. And her faith is great. Why? Because it was greatly tested. There is no great faith if the faith is not tested. Great is your faith. What is faith? The Hebrew word for to believe, faith. The Hebrew word comes from the, the, the Hebrew amen, where we say amen. When do you say amen? Yes. You are agreeing with the prayer. So sometimes someone is praying and you say, Amen. Yes, Lord. I agree. That's my petition also. The verb or the word Amen. Amen is to embrace. It's to agree. It's to say, Yes. I take possession of that. That's true. That's mine. And that's exactly what she's doing. Yes, Lord. It's not the word Amen, but it's a yes, Lord. She's agreeing. That's faith. Yes, Lord, I'm a dog. You're right. I don't deserve anything. But I believe that you're merciful. That's faith. Yes, Lord. It's her faith. And faith is a gift from God that caused her to rest with God in meekness and perseverance. Then you might ask, so what happened to verse 24 when Jesus said that he came to the lost sheep of Israel and that he could not be healing? What happened? Was that verse removed? Was that theology removed? No. That was proved to be real. How come? She proves to be a true Israelite. She proves herself to be a true Israelite. How? Israelites descend from whom? Israel. Israel. What was his name before? Jacob. Do you remember when he receives the name Israel? After wrestling with God. In persecutions. And that's exactly what we see this woman doing. Wrestling with the Lord. In prayer. She is a true Israelite. She is the Jacob of the New Testament. And here's the question for all of us. Have we been wrestling with the Lord like that in prayer? Have we been wrestling in intercession like that for those whom we love? And it's beautiful that even in the darkest of places, you can see the grace of God reaching and rescuing people. And that should bring us hope. There are so many people that we see and think there is such a dark place. The grace of God could never reach there. And you see here how, no, God's grace can reach even a pagan Canaanite woman in Tyre. This is why he says, this story ought to teach us that it's grace, not place, which makes people believers. 
Let us not despair of anyone's soul merely because his lot is cast in an unfavorable position. It's possible to dwell in the coast of Tyre and Sidon and yet sit down in the kingdom of God. And that teaches us that it's not because our children are born and raised in a Christian home that they are Christians. What makes them Christians is the grace of God resting them, changing their hearts and bringing them into the kingdom of Christ. Amen? And look at the the, the emphasis that Jesus brings to her will. Look at it. Then Jesus answered, O woman, great is your faith. Be done for you as you uh, desire. And it's fascinating when you study the Gospel of Matthew because you see what people desire. The scribes and the Pharisees, they desire to see signs from Jesus. Show us a sign. Herod wants, he desires the head of John the Baptist. James and John, they desire positions of preeminence in the kingdom. Judas Iscariot, he desires money. And what does this woman desire? Jesus should come and take over her household, conquer her daughter, and reign in that place. That's what she desires. So, let me just finish with some practical applications about this story. Uh, especially thinking about this. The more time you spend studying this story, the more you love this mother, and, and the more you see her, it seems like you know her. And she's a wonderful character in the New Testament, one of my favorite characters in the Gospels. And here are some important lessons, practical applications that we learn for, from her. First of all, she's not easily offended. She's not easily offended. And that's a wonderful mark of people who are secure in their identity in Christ. People who are always offended by everything is someone who does not know who he or she is in Christ Jesus. Besides that, it's always horrible to be with people who are always easily offended. You never know when that person is going to be mad at you. This mother has good and sound theology. She knows about Christ. She knows about her nature. She knows that the most important things. And I would encourage all the mothers to be sound theologians. Study theology. She's humble. She's beautiful because she's clothed in humility. She's meek. Meekness is strength under control. It means to approach others in a humble and caring spirit, not using force to get one's way. She's shrewd, she's astute, she's clever. She's under great affliction. This mother has everything against her. Her race, her social status, her religious status. She has a daughter who is under the domain of Satan. And yet she used her afflictions to grow in faith and meekness instead of bitterness. She used the affliction to grow in meekness and grace instead of bitterness. We forget that every cross is a message from God, Ryo writes, and is intended to do, to do us good in the end. Trials are intended to make us think and to drive us to the Bible and to our knees. Health is a good thing, 
But sickness is far better if it leads us to Christ. Anything, anything is better than living in carelessness and dying in sin. Better a thousand times to be afflicted like the Canaanite mother and like her flee to Christ than to live in peace like the rich, rich fool and die at last without Christ and without hope. She persistent. She wrestles with the Lord in prayer. And we all, and I'm talking to the moms, you have a, a glorious privilege and duty to wrestle with the Lord in intercession, in prayer. J.C. Ryer writes, Let us remember this history when we intercede for others. Have we children whose conversions we desire? Have we relatives and friends about whose salvation we are anxious? Let us follow the example of this Canaanite woman and lay the state of their souls before Christ. Let us name their names before Him night and day and never rest until we have an answer. We may have to wait many a long year. We may seem to pray in vain and intercede without prophets, but let us never give up. Let us believe that Jesus has not changed and, the, and that He who heard the Canaanite mother and granted her request, we also will also hear us and one day give us an answer of peace. And last, as we have been, we started last Lord's Day studying spiritual warfare and this mother is a warrior. Talk about spiritual warfare and you see what a warrior looks like, a faithful soldier, what looks like. It's this woman here. So, that's all we can learn from her. I want to finish giving the, putting the spotlight where it deserves. The great he, hero here is not her. The great hero of every story of the Bible is the Lord Jesus. And that's all we see here. Look at that. And her daughter was healed instantly. That's the mercy and the power of Christ. I love a mighty fortress is a God. And then you remember Luther, he says, one little word shall what? Shall fail him. One little word from far away was able to deliver that girl from the domain of Satan. Jesus has taken this mother and her daughter from the captivity of Satan and made them trophies of grace. He conquered the power of Satan with his word. He is the great warrior. Jesus, think about that. Jesus went into that region. Why did he go to that region? Why did Jesus go to Tyre and Sidon? He had a, he had a lamb there. The good shepherd goes after his sheep. He had a lamb there. He needed to rescue her. That's why he went there. Jesus went there. Jesus tested this woman's faith. And the test of faith shows his love for us. Look at Peter says in 1 Peter 1. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the test, the test of the truthfulness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he is the one testing her faith and showing her how beautiful it is to trust in him. Jesus had mercy on her. He is the king of mercy. 
Jesus delivers this family from Satan's power. And we see that Jesus can never be domesticated. He cannot be domesticated. His silence and resistance at times serve to test our faith in order to show how hard we will pursue Him. So many times we don't hear, we don't see the reply to our request and seem like He's silent. And that's His way to test us, to keep pursuing Him and love Him and trust Him. And lastly, Jesus was made into a dog. He, when he was hanging naked on that Roman cross, that was the epitome of being a dog. And he was made into a dog in order that we would become children of God. Adopted to God's family. Amen. Father, we thank you for giving us this beautiful, marvelous story how we needed to see Jesus this morning. How we needed to see His power, His mercy. Thank You for showing us Your Son. And thank You for giving us wonderful examples of faithfulness so we can imitate. Thank You for this church. Thank You for the faithfulness that is among these members. And I pray that we would cause all of us to grow and to be more and more humble, just like this Canaanite mother, to know who we are in you, to love you, to treasure you, and to use the painful circumstances that you bring to our lives to draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.